You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! He's looking at you, kid. What we got here is a failure to communicate. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? I have some trivia about the movie. Okay, great. <laughs> Fire away. I, I love trivia. Go for it. Okay, I don't know if you know a guy called David Stratton. He is a film critic in Australia, and he is a friend of Peter Weir. And he was invited to go to the movie and watch him film it. And um, when they were filming the, cave, the dinner at the table, it was a very. he said it was a very, very tiny house. And he... They could hardly move in there because they had the director and had cameramen and something and whatever. And he said to one of the guys, where can I stand? And he said, well, you can get under the table. <laughs> he was under the table when they filmed that. And he, I, saw, I did a course with him once and he said, I was crouched at the feet of David Gallopil. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, uh, I guess I'll jump right in. Ian, I understand that you literally just finished watching this like 10 minutes ago. Oh, it was like less than that. Less than 10 minutes ago. <laughs> it was like 8.03 when it finished. <laughs> and and uh, Nebit, uh, Susan, um, she first saw it uh, in theaters several decades ago. So we're getting the full spectrum here. We're getting, wow. you know, deep thoughts over many, many years and uh, just a very visceral reaction. I guess let's start with Ian. Um, okay, uh, I guess obvious question is what'd you think i thought it was interesting i guess generally i liked it actually it really peaked for me around the one hour mark where the aboriginal clan spiritual elements started to kick in it got pretty interesting but i guess i also kind of have i don't know it wasn't like really exciting for me like there were elements that i liked and i appreciated but there were also elements that i did find a little bit boring Oh, fair enough. So, you got kind of mixed feelings about it, I guess, you could say. Now, uh, Susan, should I call you Nebit or Susan? What do you prefer? Uh, you can call me Susan, that's fine. Okay, great. So, uh, we were talking about this a little before we started recording, and uh, you told me that you actually saw this in theaters when it first came out. I did. I went and saw it at the theater, and um, I I remember, that, like I said before, when I, I remember when I saw it, I thought it was fantastic, but I kind of saw it from just learning about sort of Aboriginal, you know, how the dream time and how it was sort of interpreted. I thought it was quite amazing, really. And, you know, because dream time really is just a perception, a way of seeing things, you know, differently, but also those things that they see, it's a reality. It's like another reality. Right. Right. And I understand, I don't know a whole lot about that culture there, obviously, I'm over here in America, but um, I, it does seem, at least I was able to glean from the film, that that sort of represents a big divide. Uh, Aboriginal people who live in the cities and Aboriginal people who are called tribal, is that right? Yes, they have different ways of living. Right, right. Now, I, I know, I, I do understand that this is somewhat of a, of a potent issue over in Australia sometimes. Was, was there any related controversy to it there? Was, was it a politically charged film? Did people talk about it much, or was it kind of unnoticed? 
really went unnoticed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a good film, but it, it, politically it didn't um, cause any problems at all. Because although I think it was, you know, done from a white man's point of view, mm-hmm. it really kind of showed the, you know, the Aborigine way of thinking. I don't remember it causing any issues at all. Yeah, one, I, I was reading a little bit about the, the history of Australian cinema at the time, and from what I understand that um, before the 70s, a lot of it was just sort of imported, but that around the 70s, the Australian government started um, actually underwriting um, the film industry, and that uh, Weir was one of the beneficiaries, and that this was one of the results. Um, did, I, does, that, does that jive with what you remember, that this was sort of part of an uptick, uptick a new wave of like explicitly Australian cinema? Yeah, look, it was, and it was basically funded by the South Australian government. I imagine it was very refreshing um, after a while to see films explicitly by and for Australians. Yeah, it was, actually, because um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Australian movies, actually, and I'm a big fan of Peter Weir. Now, what do you guys think, I guess I'll start with Ian, what do you guys think about some of the, the, some of the themes here? One of the more obvious ones, obviously, uh, Weir in general, uh, Weir's films are very spiritual, uh, a, little, a little opaque, a little mysterious, and I, I feel like this one was sort of a sort of a spiritual mishmash. You know, I don't think he really uh, was selling any particular spiritual idea so much as the idea that we have lost touch with our spirituality. I mean, there's mentions of Jesus. The plagues are very biblical, but he's sort of mixing that up with the Aboriginal tribal legends. Yeah, I did. Uh, I think that was actually pretty much my favorite aspect of the film. Um, his father was a minister, and uh, you know, you could tell that. Like, they were like a Christian family, mm-hmm. but his background from Africa tied him to the spirituality of the of the tribal people there. Yeah. Yeah, dreams are very surreal, and a lot of spiritual Aboriginal cultures like that, even here in North America, they're almost obsessed with dreams. And so, yeah, I thought that was really cool. I liked all the, like, the painting works on the walls mm-hmm. and the caves. That aspect of the movie really appealed to me. And um, I especially liked the ending, you know, all the artifacts and just yeah. his whole reaction. Well, let's talk about the ending. Uh, it seems like there's a fair bit of debate, and it's not hard to... It's one of those films where as soon as you finish it, you know you're going to go online and find 50 different opinions <laughs> about what it means, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's go through a few of them, I guess. Um, the most uh, straightforward one is that he goes out and he sees the wave, the last wave, the wave that's going to ostensibly end the world, although I remember they talked about rebirth, so I don't know if it would be the last wave so much as the last wave for all of us, and that, you know, the world starts over again. Um, a less literal interpretation, I guess, is that he goes out and sees the wave coming in the future. He's not actually looking at it, he's just having a vision of what will be. And the, uh, the less, uh, the, 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 uh, another interpretation is that he's crazy and <laughs> imagining it all. Um, did either of you have any opinions about that? Probably the first one you said would be closer, I think. But I think it was it was ambiguous on purpose, you know. Yeah, intentionally ambiguous. Um, I don't know. I try not to draw conclusions about those kind of things. I just enjoy the mystery. But in the moment, that was your first, your first interpretation. Maybe it could have just been a tidal wave. Maybe it could have been a tidal wave that just hit Sydney, or, you know, I don't think it was like I didn't get the impression of it being the end of the world or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I get the impression of it being very important to him personally and to the the spiritists and the tribal people. Susan, you said you uh, you loved this film, and I have to imagine it's the kind of film where if someone loves it, they must love the ending too. Yeah, the ending was 
interesting. But what I, I mean, yes, and I, I see it as like that he was actually looking at something in the future. But what I really loved about it was the sort of atmospheric rain and, and the way that they used light mm. and the way that, um, you know, the rain was like this symbolic cleansing thing all the way through. And it just, to me, the atmosphere of the whole movie was just amazing. And one of the, and sometimes like the, the way they framed some of the shots and the, the one that I really loved the most was when they were sitting at the dinner table and David um, Galalpil and they were talking and in the background was just this Aboriginal elder just sitting there. <laughs> so their faces were half in the, the, the sort of frame and he was just sitting at the back just listening, taking it all in. And I just, that was I think to me was what I really loved about the movie and I loved how they portrayed the Aboriginal. I mean I'm I really love um, David Galopil. I just love his face. And so every time I kind of looked at it, I thought, wow, you know, you're an amazing looking guy. I, uh, I really like what you're saying about the faces. Uh, the thing that it made me think of is uh, Leone films. He used to, they used to say that he would look for faces like landscapes, you know, sort of yes. weathered faces with like a, like a map of the world on their face, you know, just, and, and that's, that's the sense I got from using, you know, real Aboriginal actors. I understand Charlie was actually an Aboriginal tribal leader. He was. I think the really only actor was David. The rest of the guys were tribal people that he brought with him from Arnhem Land. Yeah, and it really pays off because you, you see the life lived on their faces, just so striking, yeah. you know, so serious. Um, and it, it really gives the, the film a verisimilitude it wouldn't have had otherwise. And I, I like what you say, too, about nature because that kind of ties into another theme is that nature sort of invades the home. You know, first you get the water falling down the stairs, but when the windows and doors break open, they don't just break open and let in the rain. Plants come flying in, you know, yes. bushes and branches. I, it's like nature is invading our, la our, our room, right? Yeah. I just found I, I just found that you know amazing like it and and I I saw when we were talking about um, when Ian said um, he didn't see it as maybe it was going to be the whole world was going to be renewed I didn't feel like that too I felt that when he sent his wife and his children off that he was sending them off because you know Australia's this big country with just people around the edge of it and he was sending them off into the country so that. The, the edge of it was going to be swamped and then we're going to go back to nature again. Actually, I just thought of something because remember how you had the dream of all the people floating like drowned mm -hmm. and yeah. that was in the painting as well and his dad said his dream when he was a kid about his mother dying came true. Right. So so he is, he is seeing the future, basically. That mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yes, he's seeing the future. Uh, for sure, because, I mean, he he saw David's face. He saw him first in shadows, and then he saw his face. And um, he and David had already, you know, seen his face as well. Right. He, um, he dreamed about Chris and the... Yeah, he dreamed about Chris. Before he actually met him. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's our first hint of, of sort of the power that he has. Uh, in the first half of the movie, I, 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 I took it for granted that uh, the Aboriginal leaders were causing this, you know, that it was sort of supposed to be. But as the film went on, it seemed more like they were just waiting for it. Um, they just recognized it. Um, although I, I, I couldn't, I was, I was curious as to whether or not anyone else had that sort of reaction or whether or not there was any ambiguity there or if it was more obvious to you both. Well, that was my reaction. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. They, were, they were waiting for it, warning about it, but not really, not, not, not causing it in any way. No. 
Right. No, I didn't. I didn't see it as that at all. Mm-hmm. Actually. No, I didn't get the impression they were causing it. I think it was something to do with the stones specifically. I thought uh, they were used. For, I actually wasn't still. I wasn't entirely clear. I guess uh, I was trying to find a reason for the stones to exist, but I guess that's part of. Unless I missed something, that's kind of part of the mystery. Well, the, I mean, the stones are something that I hadn't seen as an Aboriginal symbol, but I don't think it was. I think it was this. I think that's a symbol from. What, you know, these people from South America or something that came there, which was, you know, their cave with all their things in them. And, you know, the death mask of sort of Richard Chamberlain. Yeah, yeah, and it looks a lot like him, doesn't it? I thought it? that was really a powerful scene when he picked up the mask and he looked at it. I thought, whoa. Hey. Oh, the the symbolism of, of the mask. I mean, there's so many ways to interpret that. You know, the idea yeah. that he's hiding behind his own face. But then he yes. he has to dig deep to find it, then loses it. I mean, yes. I don't even know what how to interpret that because there's too many brilliant ways to interpret that. Mm. Well, at first I was wondering why he was stealing all those artifacts. But now I'm thinking it's almost like he was trying to rescue them. Yes. Yeah. Because he knew that something was coming, you know, something was happening and... It was going to be, like, destroyed or lost. So he was, like, trying to save these artifacts. But then, in desperation trying to get out of there, he ended up losing them all. Right, yeah. Or or almost like, I mean, one interpretation is that it was always too late. You know, that he was always going to try, but that it was too late. I agree with both of you that he's not crazy. And I think one of the more technical arguments in in favor of that is that uh, his wife sees Charlie outside the house as well. He's not the only one who sees this. But I do think um, parts of the film make a little more sense if we assume that it's um, a little skewed uh, from his perspective because it gets very surreal, um, not just Mm -hmm. with his visions, but the rest of the world he interacts with. Um, For example, during the court case, I actually thought this was kind of funny. During the court case, he makes you know a number of arguments, and he decides to make the legal argument that they were following tribal law, and so that that should apply over Australian law. And he says that this is because the man was killed with sorcery. And the other lawyer objects to the argument about trial law, apparently because he has no objection to the suggestion that sorcery was the cause of death. He's, just, <laughs> he's fine with that argument, which is the tribal law part he's got a problem with. But at that point... Uh, I think it makes sense to kind of look at it from his perspective because at that point he doesn't really care about the trial. I like that he uses the witness stand to get answers for himself, you know, because Mm -hmm. at that point he's so desperate for them. Yeah, that's cool. Now, I I know some of the religious symbolism I wanted to mention just that I thought was just so beautiful. Um, There's a couple different shots of rainbows um, over the city. Obviously, biblically, that's the promise that there will never be another flood. And appropriately enough, both of the rainbows were basically broken. Something was covering them in the middle. Uh, I don't know, possibly symbolizing uh, God breaking the promise about the flood because there's going to be another one. A lot of the atmosphere, it made me think of, in, in 1974, I lived in Darwin and I was in a cyclone. And that's what it looked like. That's what it looked like. I mean, uh, all that rain and trees coming down and stuff over the road and water pouring everywhere. It kind of reminded me of that. And um, I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> I'd, I'd forgotten about that till I'd watched it again. Yeah, and, you know, it's boy, I love that you say that, too, because it seems like the whole film is about us forgetting those sorts of things. You know, every now and then, hmm. I mean, we've all been trapped in the occasional storm, some worse than others. But I think it seems like everyone who gets trapped in a cyclone, a hurricane, any major natural disaster, the, the way it crowds out all their day-to-day concerns, the way they are reminded of the power, of the size of the world around them, that's kind of the theme of the whole film, isn't it? Um, 
mm-hmm. on a much larger scale. Now, wh- mm-hmm. why do you think Charlie, if it was really Charlie there rather than a vision, why do you think Charlie attacked him in the cave? I think it was well, because, because he was he taking did. artifacts. Yeah, he was, he was taking the artifacts, I think, because that's why the other guy was killed. Oh, but yes, of course. Because he took the artifacts. But he was, he was also kind of trespassing, you know? Yeah. Um, and Chris said he broke the law by bringing him there in the first place. Well, the, the thing that they said at the dining room table was that law is more important than the man. That was so striking, because here you have a lawyer, yeah. a man whose entire uh, existence, ostensibly, is based around putting the law first, and, he so, and yeah. it, it's almost like a hint that he already knows deep down that what he's doing is not what he's supposed to do, because he, ca- he tosses the law aside so casually, and uh, these, these tribal people are taking the idea of law so much more seriously than this you know, sophisticated man of the law. Yes. And I mean, uh, I don't know if you knew when the guy was killed and all the people, just the tribal guys were standing around him and you saw um, Charlie in the car and then he brought that bone back into the car. Did you you understand that? Because I understood that, but I just wondered from you two guys' point of view, did you know what was going on there? I didn't. I was perplexed. (laughs) How about you, Ian? Uh, So you mean at the beginning of the movie? Like when yeah. he, so when he retracts the claw, like yeah, well, it was a bone. Yeah, it was like well later. I mean, they said it was the death bone, but I thought he when I at that point I thought that he had stabbed him with it or something. I wasn't yeah. exactly sure what had happened, but it didn't it didn't really look like he had any stab marks. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll just see what happens. <laughs> death by well, sorcery. They'll explain it later, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's, a, it's an Aboriginal way of um, you point the bone at somebody yeah. and they die. Well, it's like voodoo. So almost. you don't stab them, you don't do anything, but they, yeah. because of their belief, they actually die. Wow them in the end. You got hit. You can have flaws, problems, but wow them in the end. And you've got a hit.